Welcome to the weekly message from Encounter, where the past has no future and hope is reborn. Our speaker today is Bishop Michael Rice, lead pastor at Encounter. Good morning, church. It's good to see you guys. Yeah, most of you are looking good. Just kidding. What a day. What a day. All around the world, people are celebrating an event that happened 2,000 years ago. And as the sun starts to race across the planet, people in homes, people are gathering in church buildings. While you and I were still asleep, praises were already going up. And as the sun continued to race across the planet, more people gathered. More worship went forth. Somewhere, sometime in the past, there was decided to draw a line around the, the, the planet. And on this particular spot is when the day starts. The first country to see the sun of today, Resurrection Day, was Christmas Island. Coincidence? I don't think so. Because he is both the beginning and the end of everything. And people of Samoa followed soon after, and then New Zealand, parts of Russia, Japan, China joined in. There were countries where they could openly celebrate the resurrection. And then there's some gathered in houses in China. They're like, but how could you keep it in? He's alive. That changed everything. And the sun continued to go across the planet, and pretty soon it hit Stritchboro, Ohio, and here we are. Tonight, when you and I are getting ready to close it down for the day, people in Alaska will be joining together, still worshiping. For 24 hours today, all across this world, people are gathered together in places and homes and churches like this, and they're celebrating this one truth. Jesus is alive. Amen? Amen. Amen. I want to take a few minutes to share with you something I felt like I believe that God has put into my spirit to share. It's simply entitled, If You Miss This. Found in John chapter 19, verse 26. When Jesus, therefore, saw his mother and the disciple whom Jesus loved standing by, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her to his own home. Would you stretch your hands and just reach this way and pray with me and for me? Father, we have one desire this morning, and that is to engage you. Father, we break off every distraction. 
Holy Spirit, let's get real. You're the bringer of truth. You're the revealer of light. Nothing I can do this morning is of value, but what you can do when you speak to every individual heart is just, it's eternal. So Holy Spirit, you're the real preacher here. Would you speak to hearts and change lives in Jesus' name? Amen. He said, destroy this temple and I will build it in three days. They didn't quite understand. But there were some who understood. And it all turned on that. If he doesn't come out of the grave, we can't believe anything else he said. For three days, there was wonder and there was doubt. And then... Mary Magdalene goes to the tomb and finds it empty. That's what we're here to celebrate. But to fully appreciate what that means, we, we actually have to go back three days. And this week, that's where my, my attention has been drawn. is Because if we don't understand what the cross meant we, we, we really can't grasp what the empty grave means and him on the cross was the most prophesied event that's ever happened it was not done in some secrecy this was done on full display of all of mankind it wasn't done in a valley it was done on a hill there were people there that recorded it. But more than that, the Bible says that before the foundations of the world were laid, he was already the Lamb of God. Prophecies in nearly every Old Testament book talked about his coming. It, prophecies thousands of years before he came spoke about word for word what he would say from the cross. They prophesied that they would rip his beard out. They prophesied he would be smitten. They prophesied he would be like a lamb led before the slaughter and he wouldn't open his mouth. He wouldn't defend himself. He wouldn't stop what got started. One time, the, Satan through Pontius Pilate tempted him. You ever had somebody tempt you? You just wanna? How many know what I'm talking about? You don't, you don't go there, but you just... <laughs> and Pontius Pilate says, man, aren't you going to say anything? Don't you understand? I have the power to set you free or take your life. And Jesus said, I could squash you like a bug. Well, that's not quite what he said. Jesus said, you have no power except what my Father gave you. And you're not taking my life. I'm laying it down. We know that it was prophesied he would die upon a tree. We know that it was prophesied he would carry his own cross. We know that it was prophesied that there would be somebody that would come help him carry his cross. 
We know that they prophesied that he would hang on the tree for three hours. We know we have prophecy after prophecy after prophecy after prophecy after prophecy of what would happen. We know from the time he started his public ministry at 30 years old when he crested a hill and John the Baptist was in the river and John the Baptist, the one who's been called to prepare the way, pointed at Jesus and said, Behold the Lamb of God. And every Jewish person know exactly what that meant. This was the lamb that God had prepared for you and I. It was the lamb that God had sent to fix what we broke and what we couldn't fix on our own. And as he hung on that cross and the blood came forth, it was a fulfillment of prophecy because without the shedding of blood, there's no removal of sin. And so it was symbolic, all the wounds that he carried on his, his body that day. When they ripped his beard and he began to bleed from his chin that represented the sins of our words. Anybody ever sinned with your words? Anybody ever been hurt by someone else's sin of their words? And the blood flowed to pay for those sins. The stripes on his back, the very core of his being, paid for the core of our sin, the very sin nature we were born into. The crown of thorns on his head caused him to bleed to pay for the sins of our thoughts. The nails in his hands paid for the sins that we do. The nails in his feet brought blood that paid for the sins of places we never should have gone. And last but certainly not least, the blood that flowed from his heart paid for those sins that are secret sins. That the enemy would have you convinced that because it doesn't seem like it affects anybody and nobody knows that it's okay, but it's not okay. Come on, somebody. And all of that sin was paid for. And, and all of that blood was, there was a reason for all of it. All of the words that he spoke when he cried out, some of them were quoted thousands of years earlier, prophesied. Except these that we just read. I cannot find any prophecy that prophesied that Jesus would say this. Everything else, the cross, Barabbas, the thieves on either side, the wounds, the knife or the spear in his side, the nailing of his hands, the jeering of the crowds, the mocking, the abandonment, Everything else was laid out for us. The prophecies were crystal clear. All of this would happen. Even Jesus, when he was risen from the dead and he and met the two guys on the road to Emmaus, he said, didn't you understand? This was all prophesied. Why are you shocked?
but I can find no prophecy where he would say this. Everything else he said was prophesied. But I, I can't find any prophecy that talked about this. How many knows that God does everything for a reason? And the fact that this is missing from prophecy shines a light on it. And this message simply started with God saying to me, if you miss this, And, and you know, when God speaks, he, can, he uses few words, but there comes a download with it. And, and there was a, a weight with this, that if you miss this, there was an understanding that you don't have the whole picture. If you miss this, if you miss this. So I went back and I pulled it up in my Bible. When Jesus, therefore, saw his mother, and the disciple whom he loved standing by missed that. If I don't miss, if I don't get that, if I miss that, if I miss that. And then it began to come to me the, the, the audacity of that moment. He's been betrayed by somebody he loved with a kiss. He's been abandoned by those people that swore they would never abandon him. Even Peter, the oldest of the disciples, the strongest and most outspoken, said, I will never leave you. And he said, you'll deny me three times. And Jesus heard all three denials. Anybody else ever been stuck in the back? They blindfolded him and slapped him and said, prophesy, who hit you? Ripped his beard out. Anybody got a beard here I can rip out just as a demonstration? I'm going to guess it hurts. They mocked him by a crown of thorns on his head. He's been beaten. The Bible says he was beaten such to the point that he didn't even look like a human being. He dragged that cross to the point thirst he'd been up all night physically he was drained and now he hung on that cross one of the thieves mocks him it was prophesied he would do that Jesus spoke kindly to the other thief it was prophesied he would say that And the sins of the world are about to be placed on him. And he knows that. And he knows that in a few moments, he's going to give up the ghost and die. And here's what he does. He looks down from the cross and he says, John, take care of my mom. And I thought, what, what, 
What is the importance of that, God? And all of a sudden, I, I came to this understanding. The importance of that is, if we misunderstand the cross, if you think that everything he did was all about fulfilling prophecy, if that's all it was, if you think that all it was was wiping out the handwriting of sin against us, we've missed what God is really all about. He did not come to establish a relationship. He came to start a family. And the man who had spent his whole life dealing with people on a one-to-one -one basis I'm, I'm, I'm not one who's, and maybe I'm wrong for this, but I'm not one who's, who's given a lot of weight to people of position. I admire that and respect that, but I was sitting in a restaurant some time back, and I'm minding my own business. My my lunchtime is most of the time it's me time. How many know what I'm talking about? I just want to zone out for 30 minutes. Okay, I just want to eat and, and read the news. I just I want to turn things off for a minute. And I remember sitting there, and out of the corner of my eye, I saw somebody walk past, and I'm not sure why that caught my attention. And all of a sudden, they set their plate down on my table. And they sit down. And I look up and he said, I hope you don't mind me joining you. And it's the mayor of Streetsboro. He said, Mike, how's you, how you doing? And I said, I'm doing fine. I said, how you doing? And we talked for a minute. And, and he said, you know, that this is kind of odd. And I go, what's that? He says, you're not struck by this at all. This didn't, this didn't really impact you. And I said, what do you mean? He said that the mayor of Streetsboro invited himself to your table and was talking to you. I said, no, I, Glenn, I'm glad you're here. I appreciate it. But let's put it in perspective. I talk to God every day. He wasn't offended. He goes, and that's why I like you. Jesus could focus everybody else out. He spent his life talking to the one. The child, the one who touched me, he walks into the, the porches, the five porches around the pool of the Bethesda, and he, he finds one guy He could have. He could have waved his hand and healed everybody. And I, I don't know why he didn't, except he's God and he knows better than I do. But he didn't do that. He, he walked past a bunch of people and he came to one guy and said, would you be made whole? And I love the story because he he says, I don't have anybody. 
God's talking to you right now. You know what? When you have God, you can't say you don't have anybody. Amen? Turn to something next to you and say, that's a word. That's a word. You got God, you can't say I don't have anybody. And so in this moment with death imminent, he says to John, take care of my mom. And if we miss that God is all about relationship, everything starts to unravel. It's not about a religion. It's not about trying to live up to a standard. Amen? If we could, he would not have come. The whole purpose of the Old Testament was to prove that we can't do this on our own. So Jesus came to do it for us, and, and he didn't come to establish a religion. He came to establish a relationship. And in this dying moments of his life, he is doing more than just some house cleaning. <coughs> he, is, he is sending us a message that he's all about relationship. John, take care of my mom. Mom, treat him like a son. Because you know what, folks? With him, it is, is all about relationship. You think of all the parables he talked about, it was usually family. A father, a son, a mother. He's always using family. I stick closer to you than a brother. A man had two sons. A man this. A woman that. He's at a well with a woman and she's obviously struggling in life. Life isn't working for her. And I know I've seen the posters. They show some beautiful, you know, 25-year-old woman and she's got this happy look on her face. Listen, she's been married and divorced five times. Can I tell you the smile is long gone? And she's not 25 anymore. How many know when life is hard on people, it shows up on their face after a while? I remember when got the news or we read, heard the news that Robin Williams had committed suicide and a few weeks after that a guy wrote an article about how that just days before that happened he's a, he's a, he's a writer for some magazine out in California and he was eating a, a meal at a restaurant, an open-air restaurant in California, and Robin Williams sat down at his table, and they talked for a little while. And I often thought about, because you could see, though he was hilariously funny, when you looked in his eyes, there was a storm always. It, it, it seemed to me 
that he was always trying to make you laugh so you wouldn't see what was going on in him. And I, I had, had more than a time in my life, I thought, I wish I could just sit down with him. Just, I'm a nobody. Maybe he could be safe with me. But Jesus was that one who found the one. And this is all about relationship with him. And you've you got to get a hold of that. With him, it's, it's not about attending church. You can't attend what you are. It's about a relationship. I know people that have probably never missed a church service in decades, and yet I'm not sure they'll ever make it into heaven. And I know people that almost never, but they will. But you can't avoid the reality. The Bible says that he tells us to forsake not the assembling. And please understand, this is not assembling. This is gathering. Assembling means there's a plan. There's connection. There's relationships. And how many know relationships can get ugly? <laughs> how many know they can break? How many know they can need bandages? How many know they need casts? How many know they need fix sometimes? But you know, it's in that ugliness of relationships that we grow. The hardest thing God ever said to me, he said to me about a month ago. I've still not been able to swallow it. I'm still struggling with it. I was minding my own business. I was literally walking through my backyard, and he said this to me. You need to increase your capacity for other people's pain to see them grow. I don't want anybody that I love to know pain. I don't want anybody to struggle. Do you? I don't ever want them to feel lost. I don't ever want them to feel afraid. I don't ever want them to be wounded. I don't ever want them to know rejection. I don't ever want them to know a moment of doubt. How many can relate to that? And yet, what he's saying to me is those those are growing times. Those are necessary for development. That Relationships can get sticky. But the reason we're to have relationships assemble as a body is so that we can grow through that stuff. Turn the person next to you and say, it's a good word. Because when we misunderstand relationship, it was Jesus who, when asked, what is the greatest commandment? Because I'll tell you what the greatest commandment is. You're to love the Lord thy God with all your heart, soul, mind, and body. 
And I can see all of the religious people going, yep, that's what I thought. Yep. And the second, they didn't ask him the second. He said the second is like unto the first. You know what it means? I don't have a coin in my pocket. I never have any money. You got a coin? Somebody got a coin? You got a coin? Appreciate it. I need two more for candy if anybody wants to make it. <laughs> Here's what he's saying. He said, this is the greatest commandment. Love the Lord thy God with all your heart, soul, mind, and body. That's heads. The second is like unto the first. It means it's irrevocably attached. Kevin can give me just the heads of this coin. You get this? The, the other side, Jesus said, is just as important. Love your neighbor. Love your neighbor like you love yourself. It's a relationship. And if we miss this, everything goes weird. He said, whatever you do to the least of these, You've done it unto me. The disciple said, sir, listen, we're trying to do real adult work here. And the, the kids are getting in the way of real ministry. I'll make him bet down through the years a pastor or two has heard that word. We pastored a, a church on the outskirt. We lived in a county that was 84% black. And we had one black person attended our church. That was, that's weird. And we were going to do something on Saturday to reach out into the community, which was mostly black. And we were going to have an Easter egg hunt, but we were also going to Share the gospel with them. And my wife and I invited church people. Could you help us on that Saturday? We think we're going to have a big crowd. Pastor, I can, you shouldn't be doing that. So I need you to come. I need you to come on Saturday and help. I can't. I'm busy. I understand. Can you come help? I'm going to have a lot of kids here. Can you come? No, I'm busy, Pastor. I can't do it. Kayla, could you come? I got stuff to do. Could you come? We asked from the pulpit. We need some help on Saturday. We need you to come and help. Not coming. Can't do it. Pastor, you shouldn't be doing that. They had, just before we got there, they had totally redone their, their they called it a sanctuary. It's not a sanctuary. This is a sanctuary. The auditorium, and they spent $100,000 redoing it. And 
they didn't want those kids because we were going to invite them in the building. <gasps> so on that Saturday, I don't know how many kids we had. A lot. I mean a lot. And for some in that church, they were all the wrong color. And here was the odd thing about that. Many of those people that we asked to come help showed up. But not to help. To make sure that nothing happened to their beautiful little building. Relationship can get messy. Our relationship with God can get messy. But if we don't understand, this isn't about serving him. This is about having a relationship with him. He's not looking for followers as much as he's looking for sons and daughters. The Bible says that Jesus was the firstborn among many. Anybody in here ever crashed a wedding? I've wanted to. I think it'd be cool. Go get cake. Go around and act like you know people and you don't. Has anybody ever crashed a wedding in here? Oh, you're not going to admit it. Anybody ever wanted to? Let's just get it out. Okay. And you see... Weddings, you, you, you invite those that are dear to you. You have a relationship. You don't, you don't go to Walmart and see a sign up on the bulletin board. Anybody want to come to my wedding? Just come. You invite those people that are important and dear to you. And every one of us that have a relationship with them, we, gotta, we, we have an invitation to a wedding. Jesus put it this way. It was very personal. He said, you believe in God? Believe also in me. In my Father's house, family, are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. I don't know what it means anything or not. I couldn't find a place in Scripture that Jesus ever sent anybody away. I found four times where he dismissed a crowd. I didn't find a single time that he ever told somebody, I'm done with you, go away. That says something. And if you lose that, everything is distorted. So I end with the last thing that Jesus said on the cross. The last thing he said from the cross is, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And I'm going to be honest with you, for a long time I, I struggled with that. 
I've heard theologians, I've read commentaries that said that, that God the Father had to turn away. I read that they said that because that sin was now on Jesus, the Father had to pull back. How many heard those? And yet it bothered me. Because I, I, don't, I don't want to serve a God who will abandon me in my hour of need. Anybody with me? And it, it, it hurt because if, if he would do that because sin was found on Jesus, what would he do to me? And it didn't seem to align with the God that I, I learned. It said that what, while I was yet a sinner, he ran to me. Are you getting this? Until this week. You see, Jesus, up until this moment, had always talked about God in terms of relationship. He had such a relationship with his father that the disciples saw him praying and they, wow, they liked what they saw. He, he went into prayer. And he didn't come dragging out. Man, I'm glad I got that over. Go to his refrigerator and mark it off. I prayed today. How many know, how many's ever been there? They, they saw in him something different. He seemed like he enjoyed it. One day, the disciples said to him, which means they had been talking about it, the disciples said to him, Master, teach us to pray. They didn't say teach us how. What they were saying was, could we have that? That thing you have? Can we have that? How do you get that? We've seen you pray. And man, when we pray, we cover our head with a cloth and we put ashes on our head and we bow down and we... And Jude, light up! Can we have that? Yes. Next time you pray, do this. Dad! Our Father! I like that he said our father. Not my father, our father. Because you need to remember he's John's father. And before you feel like you're prophetically led to go light into somebody, remember that's somebody else's kid. I had a person here recently come to me and they were another minister and they were getting ready to light somebody up because of what that person did wrong. And they said, do you think I'm in the right frame of mind here and I said no he said why not I said you forget something man 
That's somebody else's kid you're talking about. I said, let me ask you this question. If I saw your kid did so, do something wrong and he's got kids, I said, would you mind if I just grabbed them by the arm and swatted them a time or two? Man, you could see his face turning red. I said, then don't do that to somebody else's kid. That's a child of God. Be careful. Be careful where you tread there. And Jesus, listen to me as I wrap this up. Jesus, in every incident I could find, referred to him as Father. I only do what I see the Father doing. I only say what I hear the Father saying. When you pray, pray like this, Our Father. Listen to me for a moment. If you miss this, but in his moment of pain, in his moment of darkness, Father had turned to God. And a God may leave you, but a Father wouldn't. And when you and I misunderstand relationship, we end up with a God who can leave us in our hour of need. Instead of a father who would never leave us and never forsake us. Because of relationship. So in that moment... When Jesus is about to die, he's wanting you and I to get this. My whole world is falling apart. I don't feel my father anymore, and I'm broken, and I'm about to experience death. But I still care about the one, because relationship is everything to me. So John, take care of my mom. cried with a loud voice it is finished don't misunderstand that it is finished he's just getting started and he goes into Sheol he goes into the place of captivity that all of those that have passed away from Adam until that day are held in a place and they're held captive and he preaches to them for three days how would you like to have been in those meetings The only thing we know about what happened is the Bible says that he took captivity captive. I bet they were captive to what he had to say. He showed up and said, guys, I got good news. I've got this. I've got the keys to death, hell, and the grave, and it's over. I won. The next time the enemy tries to tell you how big and bad he is, remember you're talking to somebody that doesn't even have keys to his own house. Okay? He's not that big and bad. There is one by the name of Jesus Christ that overtook everything that hell threatens against you and I. And it's to establish a relationship with you. Would you stand to your feet this morning?
That's Bishop Michael Rice, lead pastor of Encounter. More messages from Pastor Rice are available at our website, godenc.com. You can subscribe to our regular podcast through our website or on iTunes. Find us on Facebook under Encounter.